0: Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast with me, Joe Warner, and powered by Ultimate Performance, the world's premier personal training experience that delivers maximum results in minimum time. In each episode of the Unfiltered Podcast, I interview the most respected, celebrated, and controversial experts in the fields of health, fitness, nutrition, well-being and performance to help you find the life-changing advice you need to live smarter. Remember, you can find all of our exclusive unfiltered documentaries, video interviews, and investigations at unfilteredonline.com and the Unfiltered Extra YouTube channel. And now, on with the show. Well, let's start with the most obvious question I've got on my list then. Congratulations, yeah. men's physique winner, Mr. Olympia. Thank you. How how's it feel? Because it's been quite a journey, right? And we'll get into that. But yeah. how did it feel when you were on that stage? Because I've seen the video. You yeah. look like you look like you were floating on air. Talk me through how it felt.
1: Yeah. Well, I cried my eyes out on stage. Luckily, there was a lot of people like congratulated me and, and hid that from the media. But um it was just so surreal, Joe. And even to the, even now again, shivers actually, we're talking about it because Yeah, it, it like everything rushed to me all at once. So it wasn't just the, the initial part of winning it was more the fact that like my life's career so two-thirds of my life I've worked towards that title so every like injury I've ever had so like my three uh hip surgeries my back surgery my shoulder injuries just all these like social things that I'd missed um because I was competing for a, a title at the time or I was I was in prep or all these things just came rushing all at once which was really weird to think my my career resume is complete now I've completed every single title uh that I can and that I wanted and yeah I really I honestly thought I was going to pass out my legs went like jelly it just I was so elated and there was a part of me um just so relieved that I could do it and it was getting to a point where I was becoming the flex wheeler of the men's physique world where it was that the the uncrowned Mr. Olympia people were calling me and all these types of things and I thought I, I don't want to go down in history as that person like like I felt like I've still got what it takes. And, yeah, nine years on, we we finally got it. But it was just, yeah, a mesmeric moment, which I'll never, ever forget.
0: Ninth time lucky, hey? (laughs) Did it feel different this time? Did you have a sense that you were going to win? Because you were nine pounds heavier than than 2022, right? So your physique has gone through a remarkable change. But did you ever have – you're a very, very – you're not an arrogant guy, right? So there's never that ego there. But did, did it feel different?
1: Did you feel like it was your time? Yeah. So it felt very different, and I'll be honest. This is not something I highlighted before, but this was going to be my last Olympia. It was going to be my last Olympia. So I, I'm a guy. Yeah, I'm a guy who who is a realist, and he's someone who is very competitive and wants to know he's got a chance of winning. There's no. I don't want to just make the numbers up, and I don't want to be somebody who, like, I say people respect, but they think, "Come on, you, you've had you've had ten years at this. You've had eight years at this. It's time to go away." And I would. No matter how you look at it, bodybuilding is a very selfish sport. How, however, you try not to be, it is, and and it doesn't just affect you; it affects people around you, so your family and everybody. And I could see the Olympia was becoming just a stressful time because it was always about where I went wrong. And it was like slowly over the years, I was like the last couple of years, I was actually going the wrong direction to winning it. I was my places were going going down, and I didn't want to keep putting my family through that if there wasn't a chance of me winning. If I if I knew there was, I'd keep going and keep going. But this year, I said to my wife, there's two titles that I really need in my resume, and it's done. which is the New York Pro, because that's one thing I never did in the past, and obviously the Olympia title. But I just said, again, I'm going to go all out, do the New York, and, and have my last attempt to the Olympia, and do it myself, prep myself, and, and just go out on a high when people still respect mm-hmm. me as, a, as an athlete. So... That was my intention. Um, and uh, like I say, I won the New York Pro, worked on all the, the the negatives like the back needed to come up and things like that. And I just wanted to to showcase mm-hmm. my very best on the last time stepping on the Olympia stage because something just hit me as I was prepping when they started talking about the three Bs. So Brandon Hendrickson, Jeremy Buendia, Erin Banks. And then they were talking about Chiron. So they were talking about the top four. And it really... I wasn't even placed in the top seven in people's minds. And I don't know what it was. Something just clicked, like flipped in my head. And I was like, when did I, as an athlete or as a person, let that be okay? That people thought I wasn't even worthy of being in the top seven. And I just, I don't know what it was. It fired me up so much this year to just, I don't know, make a, uh, what's the word? Prove to myself, prove to my family, prove to everybody that, I am worthy of being up there. When I retire, I'll be up there in the top three. So that was my intention. and I just went all out. And, yeah, it it was – and the thing was as well, when I went into peak week, normally I'm quite a nervous competitor and I'm always, like, overthinking things. I don't want to let the UK down. I don't want to let my sponsors out. I don't want to let family – and I let that drive me, but possibly in the past as a negative, but now I couldn't see that. I can see it now. This year I had no pressure on me whatsoever because I wasn't in the top seven. Because people weren't expecting anything of me, my family for the first time didn't come out. My wife, my kids, which is a shame because it's the first year they didn't come out with me. But I just said to them, look, I just want to go out there and finish on top and be at my best. So I had no pressure going into peak week. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Olympia, but like when they've got the front runners, especially the top five, they have the favourites that all the media, everybody are trying to capture footage of them because obviously they want to get that gold dust footage if one of them wins. So we're in the we're in the gym and they're all crowded around all these the the three Bs and and whatnot and and they're not even acknowledging me in the background and all the while it was just firing me up so much because I like being the underdog I've always loved training as an underdog or being that in that position which is not necessarily the right thing to be as a champion but it's always always driven me on really and it just felt like I was there to to fight, you know, in, especially in peak weeks. So as I got closer to it, there was no nerves that came into it. There was, It was strategically planned in my head what I was doing, next meal, when I needed to rest, when I needed to train, when I needed to do my posing. And it was just military. And I just went in and then, yeah, it felt amazing. Best I ever felt.
0: But going into it with a, a different mentality must have made a difference, right? But was there anything fundamentally you'd done different this time obviously you're a lot heavier so it was a real strategic operation in many respects to be bigger to be more defined because we've seen the the class over the the time you've done it become much bigger right much more muscular yeah you've had to adapt with that you can't just keep bringing the same package was it very much part of your mentality like if this is my last show i'm coming the biggest the best the leanest and if, yeah. how did you kind of turn that in your head into into the reality?
1: Yeah. So for me, I, um, I've always stayed to that. Oversized, I've always wanted functionality, aesthetics, um, and uh, what's the word? Like sustainability in my physique. So I never wanted to be the biggest guy on stage. I never wanted to be massive. I always train with super heavyweights. But I was, I was naively, not naively, what's the word? I was always sticking to what I wanted to stick to. So over the years, it was like, you take me as I am. Like, if, if I'm not what men's physique is at the size I am and I feel comfortable like this because maybe in the past subconsciously obviously in my early years I got training because I had a body dysmorphia of being overweight all this kind of stuff. So I never started training. My my fitness lifestyle was never about trying to be the biggest guy in the room. It was always trying to be the leanest and, and the most athletic. So I always found it hard to get my head around off season trying to grow massive for the next year. I just didn't it didn't resonate with me. I didn't like doing that sort of thing. But as you say, because I felt like this was my last year and I thought, you know what? I'm going to conform to everything they want of me and see if that was a missing piece because i would forever be kicking myself, retired, not knowing I've done everything I could have done for that title. So we set out from last Olympia, which I remember like it was yesterday, Tyler Mannion come to see me um, two days after Olympia in Flex Lewis's gym in Vegas. And he said, look, you everything we want. You just... We need this, this, and this from you. And I thought every year they tell me they need something different. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to do everything you say to a T, and let's see what happens. And it was bring my back up. He said, from the front, you missed Olympia. From the back, you drop places. And, and you can see in any of the footage, you can always see that. Like, I'm always fighting in the top three. And then as soon as I turn to the back, I start to lose places. So I was like, right. So I put a plan together. Monday and Friday, every day for 365 days, I'll hit my back twice a week. I'm going to grow. I want to grow. I want to put some muscle tissue on. I'm going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to cover up for a year and and get into that realm of 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 being uncomfortable getting bigger. So we overate, we had an off season, we did all the stuff possible. And well, I did. Yeah, cuz I keep saying we as a team, but it was me myself and I. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and and that's what I did. I just relentlessly kept working on that. And one thing they said to me is Because obviously with family and business and all that kind of stuff, over the years I've not got over to America as much and had feedback and competed throughout the year. But because I competed in the New York Pro, I could learn the mistakes in a local show, in like a smaller show, Ready for the Olympia. So they corrected so many things with my back posing, with my stage presence. They said all these things which... I didn't know anything about, and I should have done. I should have done my research, and it's my own fault. I put my hands up. I maybe could have won this tile a few years ago if I'd have done this, but I just never saw that as an option to go to the judges and start really asking for feedback. Going to to New York and to Pittsburgh to see Jim Mannion, who's the president of the uh, the IFBB, to see Steve Weinberg, the head judge, and get actual one to one feedback. So. I was always only getting feedback when I came 7th to the Olympia after stepping off stage. It's too late by then. Whereas this year, they gave me a, a target, a plan. They showed me what they wanted to see on stage, which was the hands on hips facing forward, which was the the bringing the lats up, squeezing the lower back. And little things, what sound, sound very trivial, just changed my physique overnight. It was unbelievable. That back shot, it was all there. I could just never showcase it. And people go, how have you brought your back up so much? So I was like... There's part of it, obviously, training twice a week, but the other part was actually being able to showcase it properly because I'm only ever used to, with super heavyweights hitting a back double bicep to show condition, which, as a men's physique comp. you don't do that. So when I step on stage and do a men's physique back shot, I just got washed away. But when they showed me, um, and they showed me uh, three weeks out, and I literally, shit you not, Joe, sorry for swearing, <laughs> I got up at four, I was in the gym for four o'clock every morning Till six o'clock, and in that two hours, I was doing forty-five minutes posing practice on my back. My back was shot, was gone, and my front posing—thirty seconds on, thirty seconds off—and you'd have to hit fifty back shots without getting it wrong. So getting into it, if you get wrong, you have to start the count again. And it was just unbelievable, horrible. horrible. Three three weeks of pure pure hell. Hardest part of my training that it's ever been. But the difference it made was just unbelievable and it's so worth it.
0: Heck, they, these are the things that, that no one really knows about, right? They see the lifting the heavyweight yeah. and the glory posing. It's all of this other stuff that goes on yes. behind the scenes. Yeah. A yeah. couple of things I want to just pull back, pull back on, Ryan, if that's okay, because I, I've got to be honest, I was hoping for the exclusive that you've got the title now, and that was it. You you no. You said it was going to be your last Olympia, and then the word "was" was where the emphasis. Is. Yeah, you spoke a bit yeah. more about once you've won a show, that's it. You've ticked it off. You can move on yes. another target. What's yeah. different this time, and what is your plan?
1: Yeah, so so for me, um, <laughs> I think I think as a competitor, you always look for that one thing that nobody's got, or that one task. So I heard on a forum as soon as I won the title, I was the third best men's physique guy in the world now third best ranked and I was like how does that work <laughs> and they basically said you've got Jeremy Wendy who's four times you've got Brandon Henders who's three times and then you've got myself who's one but because I've won the Arnold t- three Arnold titles and other accolades that it puts me third in the ranks and I'm like third <laughs> any excuse really to-, to go again but um it was that? Like, I can't finish on third. No way. So so that's my excuse to everybody else. But but really, it's just the fact that I absolutely live and breathe bodybuilding. I love bodybuilding. It's never been a chore or monotonous being in prep. It's never affected my social life in the fact that I can still function. I can still do all the things I want to do. And it provides a good life for my family and stuff. So there's all those things that are factor in. Um, obviously, building the gym and the facility I've built just recently, that was... Because of my in my mentality of retiring this year, so it has thrown a bit of spanner in the works there. <laughs> so what, what's the goal now, right? Because like all successful sportsmen or people in in life,
0: there's a an element of redefining the goals, moving the goalposts, right? Yeah. So you yes. want, all you've wanted your career is is the O. You've got that. Yeah. So now what is it? Legacy? Is yeah. Two enough? I think, three enough. Yeah. When are you when are you going to? Yeah. You know what? I've absolutely achieved everything I
1: set out in this industry. I honestly, I can never I can never say like a, a number. And I always did say, and it's hard because I always did say if I ever won the title, I wouldn't feel the need to keep going back for it. But at the same time, one, I think I'm looking for excuses, but there's so many things what I missed where my daughter's 15 weeks old, so she won't have a clue about this. My son's three and he was watching me on TV this year. He came last year, he was fast asleep the whole way through it in Vegas. So at two years old, but three years old, he was really noticing it. And he's coming to the gym with me now on his treadmill at three years old and doing his squat. And he's he's really proud of, of that. And I've got videos of him watching me winning that title. And he was just jumping around the room and elated. And he was just... And I thought, one, I would love to share that moment with him. When he's four years old next year, it'd be an absolute dream of mine to be able to do that. But secondly, like I say, it provides a great life for us and it and it is apparent that my following that my my name in the industry is competing uh, there are other things obviously um but whenever i'm not in prep or not competing it's just not as active like life's not as active so i i do love the uh, the structure that it gives me and i've done it for 20 years i've only been competing for 10 years but for 20 years it's been my life anyway for the first 10 years I was in a, a prep, so to speak, because it's just my everyday life. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't like to put an, like a, a time on it. It's just I'm enjoying it. And ever I'm enjoying it, and ever it's providing a good life for my family, you, I'll, uh, I'll carry you're on. You're
0: fairly but... confident that you'll know when the time is right. Because yeah. uh, and before we get to that, just to, just to cycle back, because you said that you, know, you only wanted to do, once you got one Olympia, that would be enough. That's what you were telling yeah. everyone. Is that what you yeah. believed? Or was or did you know deep down you were saying that and actually you wouldn't wouldn't be satisfied with one? Talk to me a little bit about your mindset. And, yeah, that, and, you know, that's... Is there a slight um, juxtaposition between what you're telling the world and what you're telling yourself?
1: Yeah. I think if I'm... Oh God, you're getting deep here, Joe. Yeah, I think if I'm honest, yeah, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think you're right. I think I was saying the things I felt like people needed to hear and wanted to hear around me because you've got to you are got to see it from obviously my wife, my family, where the only title I have needed was the Olympia. So when I'm placing seventh and they know how hard I work or how much I put into it, how much dedication, how many injuries I've had, how, what I work, the pain I work through to get that out to come seventh, they're having to pick me up. I'm not somebody who's negative, you know, like I can be, I'm not saying I need someone, but they are around me. They know I'm hurting inside from that seventh place, from that fifth place the year before. And so, cause that's just not me as a competitor. So, it was coming to a point where I felt like selfishly I need to think about them as well as myself like it is no point keep dragging them through the mud and and doing it when I've I've achieved what I can achieve and as far as I can achieve and am I just going to be risking my health more with more injuries and stuff like that and and affecting my time with my kids and my family and being away from them and stuff so that was always in my head thinking I think it's time it's best that they, they want me to do it and it's time that I I give up, and and as well, obviously, I, I meet these people and I say, oh, "I met you ten years ago, I met you eight years ago, I met you six years ago," and you're like, "It's a very young man's game, isn't it?" Like the industry is like, you see so many like superstars come through, and I don't know how I'm still dragging on ten years later. <laughs> people forget though,
0: because you've been around for so long. I think people yeah. actually feel that you're older than, than you are. Yeah. Because exactly. There's no real like, exactly, and left on your career, you can keep doing it
1: as long yeah. well, as long as you want to, essentially. Yeah. So, so the guys I compete against, like Erin Banks and uh, Andre Ferguson, they're all in the forties, and like obviously I won't be doing that. But I've just turned thirty-five last week. But you just, yeah, you do forget, and that's exactly that's exactly right. You, I talk as though I'm really old to people, and it's because I'm old in the industry, and yeah, I'm not old as a as a physique or a, as a as a person. But yeah, that was the reason that I think subconsciously I was saying I wanted to give in, but I just. Me and Ross actually had a really deep conversation about this. Like my fear, and I'll be honest, and my wife's fear as well, is when the time comes for me to stop because I've got a purpose now. So you know, like obviously going for a, it satisfies my competitive side of my, my of me. <laughs> so to not have that, I do I do fear. Like I do uh, worry. Like what's how am I going to be able to? Um, what's the word? satisfy that that hunger for competitiveness, and that was gonna be
0: my next question because a lot of professional athletes, yeah. it's 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 a drop-off you've got all of the yes. adrenaline all of the pressure and you know the pressure is a privilege right a lot i know it's a clean way yeah. but it, it yeah. gets you out of bed and it gets you to do the things that no one else is prepared to do you've mentioned yeah. you're fearful of that time when the competitiveness yeah. is gone are you beginning yeah. to think about how you can replace it because you'll probably never yeah. be able to completely yeah. emulate it but what yeah. are you thinking is going to be what you do are you know are you going
1: to join the boss you're going to swim around the uk What what, what how you <laughs> so they say. it yeah that is so so i thought and i and i tried to implement it it all started to come about really around the the pandemic and things when we were traveling and so stuff i was being at home and i was thinking all my income and everything is, is very like sponsor-based and I've got a family to provide for and I don't ever want to feel that risk of if anything was to happen like a pandemic or an injury that it was over tomorrow. So I started to put into place business, lots of businesses. I own six or seven businesses now, which is mentally so exhausting because, but again, I, I was took them on thinking that's going to be... Um, a way of keeping me busy from the competitive side of me. And I love business and I love what I do. I've, I've got a very diverse businesses. I've got, I've got properties like we do development and uh, clothing brands and uh, like private healthcare. So I, I'm in all different sectors, but it doesn't satisfy that competitiveness. And I, I'm very aware of that. I thought it might, uh, but it doesn't. It, it takes my time up, but it, it doesn't satisfy that. So that is something I might need to really really helming on at some point but while I'm Mr Olympia not yet you're <laughs> well, really positive and, and, and you've been known for
0: that throughout your career but I want to look back because obviously winning the title is your career high but there must have been some really dark times in those nine years where you're seeing the yeah. your placings go in the wrong direction can you yeah. talk a little bit about how you got through those moments because as you've said yeah. a lot of sacrifice it's an incredibly selfish sport there must yeah. be moments where you just like I don't know what to do. Can you describe how that was and how you got through it? Yeah.
1: So there was two, or there was three, in fact, like pivotal moments. The, the, the main one, well, always stick in my head, and that's why I put a ring on my wife thinking, yeah, I get upset, actually, um, thinking about it. Yeah, it was 2017. It was basically the uh, Olympia, 2017. So I was second in the world. I was second in the Olympia in 2016. i just won the Arnold Classic and i felt like the only thing i needed to do really was to live in america and be immersed in the in the pro leagues to to take that title so that's what we did i, I took my uh, my girlfriend over at the time and um we literally set up overnight 12 weeks before the olympia and it was just a whirlwind sold everything we had here and uh, yeah set up in america and didn't have anything over there so it was a hard 12 weeks we didn't have a, a house or a car or a gym to train our food. It was one of those things where we just packed our bags, went, and then see what happens. And then, um, yeah, we, we went through that. And as a surprise, because everyone thought I was going to win, all my family, friends, everybody had saved up all year to come out. So my brothers, my sisters, even my best friends from Australia who emigrated to Australia, they all saved up all year and came over to surprise me. And then, um, yeah, I placed... I think it was six. Yeah, I dropped from second to sixth. It was a, a shambles. It was just not a good showing, and I fell apart because I was so embarrassed in front of my friends, my family that they'd all saved up, they'd all they like their the year savings to be there to see me like basically fail. So it was a real hard time, and I literally went into a hole. And I did. I've never felt like that. I didn't know how to get out of it. I kept trying to push through, kept trying to train, kept trying to keep myself busy and active. I just couldn't get out, of it. and I was spiraling and stuff and it just got to a point, it was Amy, my wife, she could see it. Um, and she just basically, if it wasn't for her, she just said, look, we need to get out of here, as in America, because we weren't happy there. So she said, we need to go back, immerse yourself around friends, family, around what you did. So the same kitchen I used to prep out of, and this semi-detached, uh, <laughs> one uh, two-up, two-down house, get back to your fit and sawdust sort of roots of your training, uh, and just get back to what how you love it and stuff. And that's what she did. She made us come back. And it was. It was such an amazing shift. I had three months of being in, in bed and just not wanting to do anything and just being very... And yeah, she she just said, you you either fight, you get up and fight or you carry on being morbid like this and give up and that's just not you, Ryan. And it just clicked like that. And that was a real dark time. So if it wasn't for her, I think... I'm not saying I wouldn't have got back. It was just it was going the wrong direction there because I felt I'd let everyone down my life. Career's over, it's done, that kind of attitude. And then the second time was uh, a year after that 2018 uh, i tore the labrum in my hip i was a uh, stupidly went with conor mcgregor's team john kavanagh uh, owen roddy's decided to go and do mla eight weeks out from the 2018 olympia and i tore the leg came out of the socket went back in and severed the labrum so i was on crutches yeah so i, I did the olympia but that again six weeks i couldn't walk so i couldn't train legs couldn't train abs so every morning I had to do isotension to train my midsection so I lost a lot of weight if you see my 2017-2018 physique it lost a lot of weight because I couldn't physically do compound lifts or do any heavy lifting and I had to stand in front of the mirror every morning every night before bed and just tense my abs three seconds on three seconds off because it was the only way I could train my midsection and it was just a brutal brutal time and then I ended up Operating two days after stepping off the Olympia stage, and uh, I was on crutches for six months. And that time, when you're on crutches, and all you can see is the guys you're beating. So Brandon Hendrickson never lost against him up until 2080. He then went and won the Olympia. He then would get. They're all getting bigger. I'm getting smaller and dishevelled. And mentally, that was probably one of the hard from a career standpoint was the hardest hardest time in my life because I, I just couldn't do anything about it I had to just sit for six months and watch them take all the titles that I wanted and was working towards to get bigger and, and more defined and better and the division evolved so quick uh, in that time and I was going the opposite way and it took from 2018 to 2023 to get my size back to hold next to, to Brandon and this was the first year I felt like I'd got enough size to hold next in since 2018.
0: You mentioned Amy there, and I, I was going to ask you about the sacrifices you've had to make, because everyone sees the crowning glories, but they don't know about all those those dark periods of sacrifices you've made. But seeing as you've yeah. mentioned her, it, it feels like your successes are a complete team effort, right? Without her without her support and the sacrifices she's made, you wouldn't be what yes. you are. So that's my question. What is the biggest sacrifice that, that you've had to make? And if I was going to put that to Amy, what would she say is the biggest sacrifice she's had to make to, to support you to do to achieve your live stream, Ryan?
1: Yeah. I think I think the sacrifice what I really struggled with, but again, I'm 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 thankful for Amy because she made it a lot easier. So there was a few times for last year and this year as well. My biggest fear was not being a good dad or being there for my for my kids. Because my dad wasn't there for me growing up. So I didn't have a have a dad for yeah, for many years growing up. So I always said that was my sole focus. That would always be number one: is being the best dad that I could be. And I always said to her, "Please don't ever let me not be that. Like you know, like fade away." So she was always very mindful of that. And we were always, and it just got to a point at the like the three, the four week out, out mark, where I just couldn't be present. I was there, I just wasn't present. You know what I mean? So I'm there and in body, but just not in mind. And she could see I was struggling. And it was getting to a point where I was like, "Look, I'm going to have to fold this prep because I can't." Be the dad I want to be to to Alfie and to Elsie, um, because I just I'm exhausted. I could hardly pick. He's wanting to pick me up and play. I, he's my best friend. Like I take I do everything for him now. So like even when I was prepping this time, I like, I, I take him. Um, yeah, I get him up, make his breakfast. We have breakfast together. Uh, I get him dressed, brush his teeth, bath him. We go to school. I bring him back. I feed him. I put him to bed as she does with Elsie. So like we're a good team effort. So it got to that point of the three-week mark where I just couldn't do those job roles. And I could see he was getting frustrated with me and he couldn't understand it. And that's when she said to me, you need to go to New York. You need to go away for the last three weeks because it's better for him to miss you than see you like this. And, and she was right. And that, was, for me, was the hardest thing I ever had to sacrifice was... I knew it was the right thing because it's providing for my family, and I knew it was. Um, it's a short time, three weeks, but it was that was so hard to leave them, and uh, for her, the biggest sacrifice is she lost her crutch or lost her, um, her life for like four weeks <laughs> because you've got two kids on your own. It's just. It's More than amazing thing for her to do, right? Because she's basically saying, "You go and do what you
0: have to do, and don't yes. worry about anything." Which I think yeah. is an amazing testament, not only yes. to your team ethic, but her confidence that you were going to deliver as well, right? Yeah, yeah. incredibly tough. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, "Go and do this for us." Was that my? Yeah, right? really,
1: yeah. Oh, unbelievably! And that was the thing as well. Uh, in in New York, when I was getting up at four o'clock every morning, I did two hours training. I was coming back eating. Getting my meals prepped for the next uh, the next part of the day, and then I was back training for two hours. Then I'd come back and sleep, and then I'd go back and do some more um, posing in the evening. There's so many times I was thinking, oh, do, I, do I really need to go into a third session? Like I'm knackered. All these, these things, but then all I kept thinking was, you like what you've sacrificed, like you 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 know what I mean? What, you, being out there, and what she's sacrificing, having to have the kids. and... Everything we've done to put yourself in this position, you go there now and you work your ass off. And it always used to keep me up the arse just the fact that even contemplated not going for what we'd sacrifice as a team. So, yeah, it was a massive driving force, massive. And like I say, it was just, it was really sad in the fact that she couldn't be there this year because she said it straight away. She thought, I knew he was going to win it this year. The fact she's been there since 2015, my first ever one. She's been to every show, everything around the world. It was just, she came last year to Vegas. She was heavily pregnant. morning sickness uh alfie was really ill and it was just bad we were up the night before with all of us with the runs and being sick and it just wasn't a pleasant time when you got a two-year-old in vegas in december when it's short cold so i just said look let let me just go out and, and do this last thing on my own let me just do it and, and that's yeah it's just a shame she couldn't share with it and, and she's really been struggling with it since actually that she she wasn't there to support it but she doesn't need to be. I knew she would have been if she could.
0: And also, the countdown to 2024 is on, right?
1: So <laughs> she that? But actually, funny because she was getting to a point, and she was in agreement with me with me retiring and stuff. And then she's actually turned. I said, "You can't retire. Yeah, you've got to go back." And I want to see you win this title. <laughs> that's yeah, that, I think that's,
0: that's an amazing
1: that's an amazing sign of your your incredible relationship,
0: right? Because I think a lot yeah. of partners be like, "You've done it now. You said you were going to retire. Come on, we've got a, we've got the kids. We've got all these other things we yeah. need to do." But the fact that you've you've got that that opportunity to go and do it again and you know, turn one into a legacy yes. must be incredibly exciting. I want to focus quickly just on fatherhood because you've got two little ones, right? It's um, yeah. throwing another set of spinning plates into your ever busy world. You mentioned that your dad wasn't around when you were little. So tell me Brilliant. about how you're managing to incorporate all the different facets of your personal and professional life. And also, as you say, not just be there physically, be there mentally. That must mentally, be a, yeah. a lot of things to juggle, right? How are you managing it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so this was this was why running into the Olympia and and it, obviously with Amy saying, like, you're going to end up in a hospital if you don't leave this three weeks before I left. So, and that was the reason I left because for six months when I was prepping, I was literally, which I don't advocate advocate this or advise this at all. It was just something, it was a means it was a means for them, it was a must because I'd put myself in that position. I was the only person who'd done that. So I'm to blame, but I always said I'd never sacrifice, like I say, my family duties. So I know he gets up, he wants his milk at six o'clock. My wife has a coffee at six o'clock. So I was going out the door at four o'clock to get to the gym, do my cardio, do everything, get back before they wake, before the house wakes. And at the top of the stairs, they would have the milk and coffee before they wake up. So I always, always done that. i would be prepping breakfast while she's uh, getting them all out of bed and stuff like that. So, we come down, we have breakfast, and then I take him to school. So we have breakfast as a family, and then I take him to school for 8 o'clock. Then I'm on site doing all my – I was project managing the build. Um, and then because we, had, we were building the gym, I was sloping off training on the half half machines uh, when I could, as I went and stuff. And then got back, picked him up at half three We had uh, from school. Then we had uh, dinner together. Then I'd bath him and put him to bed. That was my time with him. Amy's got Elsie, the baby. And then from eight, he'd be in bed for about eight o'clock, and then I'd eat my meal and get to the gym for about half past nine at night. I'd trained till about twelve, something like that, I'd come back and then I'd be in the office doing my emails till about half one, two o'clock. And then I'd be getting up at four o'clock every morning. So I was literally two hours sleep for for six for six months. It was crazy, how though, you honestly. <laughs> how, did you, how did you just get through it? I have no clue to this day. And people would say and Everybody around me said, How are you functioning? How are you actually like walking? And I, I, to this day, I, I still don't know. I honestly don't know. It was just, I think it was more a survival thing, Joe. I think it was one of those things where I put myself in a position where you sink or swim. It wasn't, I shouldn't have done it, but because I took on these businesses and because I'd, I knew I didn't want to sacrifice, that was my main goal never to sacrifice the family. Newborn in the house, we had the Ryan Terry British Championships. Had, agreed to do, which was just mad trying to organise that, and then we were prepping for the Olympia, and I didn't want to let anybody down at the Olympia knowing it's my last year, so I'd put myself in that position, and I just kept telling myself, it's your own fault, you get through it, you do it, and you sort it out, and and I just can't believe we're, I've got a healthy daughter, she's amazing, um, we did. We had a very successful Ryan Terry British Championships, we can't ask for any more of that, we won the Olympia, <laughs> and we're nearing completion on the gym now, so... I'm due arrest. Yeah, I was going to say, you can, look,
0: you can look back and you see that all that sacrifice w- was worth it. But I'm guessing, as you said, it's not advice you would you would ever give to somebody. But are no. you able, Ryan? Because I speak to a lot of successful athletes and, and business people of all different walks of life. And it, it, it seems to me there's a common thread that those that have the most success are almost the ones that are at least able to take the time to stop and smell the roses. Yeah. Agreed. I, I, are you are you able to do that? Are you able to be mindful yeah. in the moment and appreciate it, or is it something you've had to work at?
1: So, so this is something I'm really trying to work at. So you, you're so right. It, in, when I stepped off the Olympic stage, instead of being in the moment, knowing that, my career is complete. It's my two thirds of my life or what I've worked for. Everything like that. It was straight away thinking, right, well, I need to get back. We need to get the gym finished, right? We need to capitalize on the title. We need to do it. And I'm like, no, just be in the moment. Enjoy the moment. Be in the moment. It was unfortunate. Because again, like when I stepped, so I had a good few days in America. It was beautiful. It was amazing. The moment I stepped back onto the UK soil, it was back to reality. It was the gym, I've been away for three weeks and I had 40 contractors who had been quite slacky. If I admit, and the the gym was in a was in a bit of a state, and it was like, right, we've got Phil Heath coming, Kai Green, we've got all these big names. This needs to get done now. So within three days of the winning Olympia, I'm in a skip, hitting the skip down. I'm a, I've got a transit van doing um tip runs and stuff like that, and I'm mopping the floors at twelve o'clock at night. And it was just because I had to do it. <laughs>
0: I I know this about you from from watching videos and, and reading interviews. You don't delegate, right? You do all your meal prep. You do everything yourself to the extent you're getting in a skip, making sure that you can get more more crap in it. <laughs> That's
1: just yeah. the northern type, Thai- yeah. and you've
0: always <laughs> had that work ethic. And I would imagine yeah. it's largely responsible for your success. But are you at the point now where you are you you want to delegate, or there is right? I was going to say, there's something silly yeah. like I need control. Are you a control yeah. freak, essentially?
1: Yeah, no, 100% not. So the reason I have to do these things is because there's nobody else to do them. I've, I'm trying my hardest to delegate. So I'm even in the, the process of now trying to hire and everything like that. I My intention was always to set up so I can delegate and have more time on my family. So doing everything I'm doing now was to always set me up for the family. Um, like I say, a few spanners in the works. By doing the gym at this stage, if I'd have not won the Olympia, it had been sole focus on that, really. Sponsorship obligations kind of start to to fade out, and it, it becomes more as that's my income. Get a general manager, and I can oversee it. Spend more time with the family, but it has been thrown into turmoil with with everything going on. And um, when it comes to prepping, like with cooking and stuff like that, I yeah, I'm very anal about that because I need to know. I'm, I'm from a very working class background, and, and we were we were brought up from the age of fourteen. I I was washing cars I was pot washing uh, at the age of 16 I had three jobs as removers on a Saturday I was washing pots every night as a pot washer I was a plumber um yeah apprentice plumber so we were always taught to grass and work but I am very aware and I, and I we've had this conversation with my wife and stuff that I need to to slow down because my mum has been in, in a hostel a few times we've been so busy she had three businesses she's hundred miles an hour so that's where I've inherited it from I know that um but I'm very aware of it. It's, yeah, my intention, obviously, in January, once the gym's up and running, once it's running itself, to really try to, yeah, to change my, my outlook and perspective on stuff.
0: I want to talk just going back to to your early days because you you said to me before, you know, you were never confident as a, as a younger man. It's something you always struggled with. And I was with yeah.
1: Steve Cook recently and he, he was talking about <laughs> the, the dangers. I was, I was speaking, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was speaking to him last night. So me and Steve gave me a call last night on the exact conversation we've just had there. So it was about he rang me for advice because he wants to set up his uh, new another business. He, he he wants he's he's inspired by all these this, these businesses I've got and how I'm running a family life and how. But I just said to him, Steve, look, it's not like it's not all like uh, yeah flowers and roses or whatever. It, it, and I wouldn't advise it. You know when I said I wouldn't advise, it, I said try and get a bit like a a team in who can do it for you or I said, don't go the route I've gone. Like I said, it's not something I would promote to anybody. And if I could look back and do it again, I would definitely do things in a different way. And yeah. Cause he's like, I really look up to how you, you've built the gym and how you project manage yourself, how you've got the kids and how you do this. And I was like, don't do it. <laughs> I, love it. No. I love the fact that even somebody like Steve Cook, who
0: you know everyone looks up to is still seeing you on social media going, Oh my yeah. God, Ryan's smashing it. It's so easy. I want to do this- <laughs> Yeah, the, oh, uh, the reality of the world in which we live is very, very different to, to how we portray yes. on social. But, but exactly, Steve, And I think you identify a lot with this. Ryan is, you know, as someone who wasn't overly confident as a young man, bodybuilding is a really weird thing to choose to do because all of your self worth, your your validation, is basically put on someone else's judgment of how directly. you look, yeah. and nothing else. So, yeah. can you talk a little bit about how you managed? to get the right mindset or the right defense mechanism or whatever it might be to subject yourself yeah. to the worst kind of criticism anyone can really get how you look and then decide not to let that affect you, but actually build yeah. on
1: it. Yeah, I know. I When, when we talk about this, if you speak to any bodybuilder and if they're honest, female or any athletic, um, yeah, bodybuilding competitor. So be it a female or male, they all have an underlying, either a body issue or body confidence, there's an issue there. There's something of self-confidence is why they've gone into bodybuilding, which is so strange, like you say, looking for validation from somebody else in order to get that. And mine was exactly that. So I would have never taken my top off in front of anybody. I was very self-conscious. When I was in school, even in summer, I used to wear, because we had a blue shirt, I used to wear a T-shirt underneath it, shirt, jumper. I'd always have a coat on in summer. But thinking that was covering me up, but I'd look twice as big. So it was actually false economy, like, like just... It didn't really work like that, but I look back and it's really sad that I, I don't know what triggered it. I don't know why I had that. I had a good upbringing, good uh, like a brother and sister around me and stuff. So I don't know what why I felt like that. Still can't pinpoint it, but I was very conscious about my body. So when I started training, um that was my way of of yeah of getting confident, building self confidence. Never showed anybody. No one ever knew I trained or anything because again I just covered up all those years. But it got to a point where. My football, I finished football, I finished uh, golf, gymnastics, swimming. They were all my competitive outlets. So it got to a point when I was like 20-odd, and I was training for, for seven years at that point, six years at that point, sorry. And I was around bodybuilders every day. So I was, I lived and breathed my stepdad was Mr. England. He was a big bodybuilder. He owned a spitting sawdust gym, and I trained with Mr. Universe three times, Mr. Universe, big guy. Never wanted to look like them, but I was so inspired by their work ethic, their determination. Their competitiveness, just their resilience, just everything about bodybuilding, and I wanted to see if I had what it takes to have that competitive side. So I thought I'm gonna do it once, face my fear, not tell anybody in the room, and just do it. And that's what I did. So 2013, I died to down because I covered up. I trained in hoodies. Nobody knew what I was doing. I made it all myself. Went down and I entered a, what I thought was a local show, but it was Lemingtons Fast. So it was the closest show to where I lived. And i thought i just want to see if i can face that fear and just do it you know what i mean and have that competitive never again would i do it i remember backstage i ran into a toilet cubicle. i was like shaking so much thinking why am i doing this what and i was going to leave next minute i knew i was on stage and i just turned like an alter ego into somebody else and that I means that competitive side came out i was i was here to fight i was here to battle and and I just love when I stepped off stage and I just love that feeling of being somebody else. Like, as that confident person in me. And I just got addicted after that. And yeah, getting negative feedback, just it always used to fire me up. Some people get inspired or get fired up by like positive things or I've always been fired by, which is, but I don't know if it's a good thing or not, is, is that slightly negative, the underdog, the, the, the hustle, the graft being in the trenches and the, that side of things. And it just, that's how it, I've always worked and always pushed forward.
0: Do you still flip that switch when you walk into the gym or when you walk onto the stage when you or when you're doing anything that is is fundamental to bodybuilding? Are you still, are you a yeah. different person or are they
1: yeah. merged? No, I'm a different person. Like even my videographer says, he says, you can just see you switch when you go into your set or you go into something. And I don't know I'm doing it, but he just says you can see you become somebody else. and like, you just literally... It's fight or flight. He's, yeah, life or death kind of every time, every situation. And I remember in in, uh, in Bev's gym in New York, and it was the last week and should have been backing off. I should have been doing this. And he's just like, yeah, I remember saying, so you, you, you're clenching your jaw so hard and you, you look angry, you know, when you're doing your sets. And I, I was in my head. I was like, I have to move this car off my family. Like those type of stupid scenarios where I need to move this weight and I need to move it now. And I don't know. I've just always been like that.
0: <laughs> I guess it's a superpower, right? In what you're doing, that ability to get into that frame of mind. Yeah. And you look around every commercial gym; no one else is doing that, right? They're, they're yeah. simply yeah. with emotions. I think that's where where the difference is. It's that ability to go: this is life or death, and this matters that much. Yeah. Part.
1: And but the thing is, as well, my everyday life, as you you've known me for years and stuff, you know, I'm not that that person every day. Like uh, I'm not I'm not a guy. Who, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm not somebody who wants to go around with an attitude think the world owes me something or anything like that I've just when I go to train it's my I don't know if it's my mechanism I sometimes think it was because of that that body conscious that self-confidence a feeling of I don't want to be I don't want to say self-worth and start going down that really negative route but that 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 feeling of why I got into training it probably resonates from there and I've just adapted and and made it something what it is today, really.
0: I remember like the, the, the first time um, I shot you for a cover, you turned up at the shoe yeah. and you went, Joe, I'm not in great shape. I'm really, really sorry. And I remember talking to my colleague at the time, going, "Ryan, turned up. He said he's not in great shape. Let's see what we can do. And then you took sh- your shirt off. And I yeah. was like, oh my god, you are in <laughs> plain shape, right? So I hope you don't mind me sharing that story. But because every yeah, person said, yeah. I've ever interviewed in the physique or the bodybuilding game, has some type of body dysmorphia.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: Do you? It's obviously something you've suffered with, but you've just been at the pinnacle of your career, right? Do you look at the shots of you from the Olympia? Are you happy with your physique, or are you looking? Are you
1: looking at flaws? Ah, uh, um, I've only told one person this, but yeah, I do. Yeah, it's, it's weird because. Since, since i met my wife like before i met my wife i had probably eight years of being in a, in a, a serious diet without knowing it you know being in a deficit very clean very monotonous but it was just my life and nobody knew it and it wasn't like i was struggling that just became the norm when i met my wife i was very conscious i didn't want her to fall into that trap because i've met i've i've dated bikini girls and stuff like that i've seen how they uh how obsessed they get and they got um food intolerances now and, And it's just horrible to see. So I never wanted Amy to be like that because when I met her, she didn't have a clue about food. She had a tub of Pringles and a cheesy pizza every day. And I loved that. I loved that about her. So I never wanted it to change. And So I was very conscious around her. And I remember the first day we went on, we went to a place and she ordered a burger. And I was like, uh, because I was about to order my steak and jackie potato with, with broccoli. And I was like, I'll have the same. And I was panicking, waiting for this burger to come out. I think I've not had a burger in eight years. Like, And because I was so conscious, it obviously showed that I liked it. And I ate it. I was like, what is this thing? (laughs) I was like, this is normal food. And ever since that day, something clicked where I feel comfortable. Don't get me wrong. Like you say, the Olympia, I knew I shirred around that question. But yeah, straight away, I was looking at flaws, like at things that need to be improved, things that could have been better conditioned there. I should have done that that's not looking good. Well,
0: sorry to talk wrong. who I am. Were you able to look at those shots, though, after the show and go, that is the best condition I've ever been in? Or are you are you constantly comparing yourself, not necessarily to what you
1: have been, but the image in your head of what you think? Yeah, I'll, like. I'll be honest. I'll be, I don't see it as a negative, but yeah, I'll always be very self-critical. And I don't let it drag me down. I think, shit, I've got 306 foot. I need to improve that. That's bad. That's. It. I just look at it and think, Right, we can work on that. Right, we can do that. That's something. And maybe that's me mentally getting myself ready to, you've got an excuse now to train harder. You've got an excuse now to to not miss that meal. Like, these are the things you need to improve on. If I don't see an improvement in 365 days, I'm having you. So that's probably how I work subconsciously without knowing it. But I don't look at it and think, oh, that's disgusting. Oh, I don't want to see it. Um, It's just... It's not that... I know. And
0: again, some people do kind of can't... Physically look at pictures yeah. of themselves. Yeah. You've obviously got an awful lot of your magazine covers behind you, and <laughs> I, say, I don't have that problem. <laughs> You're a lot not- bigger than than you have been on some yes. of the covers. Do you look at those covers sometimes and go, "Look, look at you know, I'm skin and bones. There's nothing to
1: me now." Can you? Can you? I, I, no, because I like that. So I, I like being where you can put a shirt on a jumper on. And no one really knows. Oh, he keeps himself fit, but they don't think he's number one in the world at physique. Or, so I, I've always liked that. Like, so I've, I've never really been obsessed with the size game. And, and yeah, I felt uncom- a little bit more uncomfortable this year being bigger. Definitely did uh, because it's again, it always stems back to that being overweight as a kid and not wanting to be overweight. So it just doesn't align with with me being comfortable. But I'm not. It doesn't ever affect me in any way. Like I say, I'll I still have now I've now I'm off prep. I've had I, we have nice breakfast every morning. We eat together because for six months I'd not eaten my family. I eat out of Tupperware when I need to eat. I'll still sit with them when they're having their meals and I'll have a coffee or i have a drink with them and stuff. But it's not the same, is it? When you but like every night we have a sit-down meal now and we sit together as a family. Whatever it is, I've had I think four Sunday dinners in one week since I've been back, <laughs> I love us do that.
0: Are you at that point though where you know you, you may maybe just pinching your middle a little bit more? Because as you said, as you, as an overweight kid, I think for a lot of people that never leaves
1: you, you, you still remember how that feels. do. I... Joe, I won't like, I know sounds good. I'm only in, what two and a half weeks after the Olympia, three weeks, after, two and a half weeks of the Olympia. Because I've put about 10 pounds back on, which you, you need to obviously to weight, you need to put fat back on, you can't be that. Um, yeah, I'm not someone now who will take my top off. I'll be back in training in my hoodies and stuff like that. That's just who I have. I don't Yeah, it doesn't affect me in a native way, but I will be training the hoodie again and I'm happy to do that just because I feel more comfortable that way. It just yeah.
0: With so many guys as well and, and girls, I think, food does become an issue. We've mentioned body dysmorphia, but Absolutely. food food issues are so common in the fitness industry, which is kind of mad. Right? The, the deeper you get into the health and fitness industry, the more you see people yes. are struggling with mental health issues around how they look and what they eat. Have yes. you ever, you know, because everything you've eaten for so long has to be meticulously measured out, have you had those moments? And, and if so, how do you kind of deal with issues around eating?
1: Yeah, so I did, like I say, for seven years. Some of the things I look back on now, I just think, wow, ludicrous. Like if I was ever going on a date or if I was out um, in the cinema and 9.30 came, my salmon and broccoli, no matter what, I was eating at 9.30. Not 9.31 or 9.29, I was eating at 9.30. So like the smelly, horrible broccoli would come around, and I'd eat it. I was always, If I'm driving on the motorway and my alarm went off, I'd pull up at the side, on the side of the shoulder and I'd eat my white fish and broccoli and some freezing rubber, terrible. And I look back because that was just the norm for me. Now I look back and it's ludicrous. And and I do thank my wife for that, if I'm honest, because I met her when I did and I realised a burger. And And the thing was, as well, my physique changed so much since adding, I won't say bad food, like normal food uh, in to, to bodybuilding food, like to very prepped, clean food, that my body... And my strength in the gym, my pumps lasted longer, everything. There were so many positives from it. And I could see the benefits because I'd been so regimented for so long. When I started introducing these things, I was getting benefit from doing it. So I was like, this actually helps me. It's not a hindrance, it's a help. And I could mentally start to accept it and, and be okay with it. So, yeah, there was a time for seven years where I wouldn't even look at a slice of bread because <laughs> I was like, There's yeast in that. <laughs> Whereas now, I've had two slices of toast and... Still have all my oats. I still have my antioxidants, my blueberries, my, my complex carbs, essential fats, my protein, every day in the morning. But again, I'll have, I have peanut butter and jam on, on toast today with my kids and stuff. So I'm okay with it. I'm good with it. I get those simple
0: pleasures, right? I bet you really appreciate those moments of having jam on toast with your kids because you've not been able yeah. to do it. I think for so many yeah. people, you know, guys and girls on the streets, they cannot get their head around the way you have to eat when you're bulking or when you're cutting, right? Because it's it's so formulaic when you're having to eat so much and then almost overnight you've got a flicker switch where you massively
1: cut Yeah, so for me, Joe, like like I said, I would always have my six meals a day. So I'll still have two fillet steaks every day, two salmon fillets every day, um, my three chicken breasts, my four eggs, my oats. They'll all still be in there, but there'll be stuff added to it to make it enjoyable. But then... I'll I'll swap one out and have like say my family meal at night. So I'll have a chicken breast or something, but I know what I need. Like roughly to be in a surplus of calories. I know what I need to be at my maintenance and below. So as soon as I come off of prep, as long as I'm in a surplus, I switch off because I don't want to be this guy who's counting every calorie 365 days a year. cuz it's not healthy and it's not something you want to be around, either kids and family. They don't want to be around that and see me trying to count out broccoli sticks for micronutrients. And I think with bodybuilders and and the, the world of bodybuilding, it's like a cool thing to have your tough Let like everybody know in the room that I've got 165 grams of carbs and that I'm struggling and that I'm in this. I'm in the trenches. And I, you don't need to be like that. You really don't. Like I, there's so many times like my son. His birthday is always in uh, the 20th of September, so it's always at the Olympia or around it. So we'll have parties at pubs and restaurants and stuff like that. And my meals will be in the car. And the time I run out and just quickly eat my meal and be in, it's like I've been to the toilet or I've been to the bar. Nobody needs to know, and it's... But I've got friends or people in the industry where they hassle everybody, they walk in, they pull their hoodie up, they're in the corner, eating their ice and whatnot, or make, letting everybody know that he's drinking a pint of water. Cause he has, and it and I was just like, it doesn't need to be like that. I, I live like a very normal life and people who don't know how I eat and stuff would never know how I eat because I don't need to show the world that it's for me. Um, and, and that's how I've always been.
0: I think that's the key as well, right? You you're just getting on with it. It's not a soft glance, yeah. it's not about attention, if anything, because yeah. of that lack of confidence. And you say your first experience in the gym, it's not about standing out, it's about blending in and, yeah. and only then revealing the physique when you abs- absolutely need to. I'm really of right. time, right? What looking into a crystal ball? What? Yeah. If we had this conversation in five years, because I'd like to have our conversations not every decade like we've been doing. to
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you again in five years. What? What have you done? What, what? And what are you doing? So I think RT Fitness will be exactly what I wanted it to be because it's going to be not honestly charity-led, but it's going to be very much about the community. And every, bi-monthly, we're going to be doing charity events and stuff. So I really want, and it and it already is this before we've even opened the doors. So. Fit has become very popular in this area already. It's becoming, it's like, it's coming global, but it's it's very, there's so many people are playing. There's all different businesses want to get involved. And I've already got business, like local businesses, all doing things together now. And I, I want to do that for my, my local town. And I want this place to be the hub. And already people are wanting to franchise it. So there's always a possibility. As long as they stick to my ethos, as long as there's, there's a charity type of, Vibes where they're doing something, then I might franchise it, I might make it, um, yeah, accessible to everybody. As long as we get this one right, I'm going to make all the mistakes with this one first. And that so, in five years' time, I want to be able to be a lot more relaxed. I will be retired by then, 100%. Um, obviously, spending more time with the family and just enjoying being in the moment with those guys, and hopefully, um, yeah, have a successful business is what I've delegated. Um, and and even uh, uh, giving back to the the industry as well, the bodybuilding. Like that's what I tried to do this year with the Ryan Terry British Championships. That was ten years since I won that title. Ten years since I turned pro. Ten years since from being a plumber to then turning pro to becoming a sponsored athlete, professional athlete. So I felt like I owed a lot to that that uh, that show and that title. So that's why I put so much into it with with Gym Shark. So maybe doing that on a larger scale and and yeah. Just enjoying life.
0: We've seen obviously, you no know, body powerful. By the way, so that was the big kind of UK fitness expo. Do you feel yeah. positive about the future of of British bodybuilding in the industry at large? Because obviously, you've got the, you've got the show. There's so many yeah. more people into fitness than when you and I first went to body power back in the day, right? Do you feel yeah. like there is a, a positive momentum around what you're trying to do, and you can be a figurehead for it?
1: I think. I'll be naive. I'll be silly to say, yeah, I think it's going to be easier. I do think there's a lot of damage being done with, with, I don't want to say small minded people because that's like separate, but people not working together. The sports industry or the bodybuilding industry is still small. It's growing. It's relative. It is growing, but it's still relatively small and it can be so much bigger if everybody's on the same page, wanting to promote each other. I've noticed, obviously, getting in the back end of it and obviously trying to do my own show, there's so much animosity or so much like, friction between like federations and between people that it's it's really hindering what it could be like if we were to work together and we could all have a piece of the pie and actually make it something it could be it would be amazing but obviously I know business I know that sort of thing people don't think like that but in my eyes the way I work I feel like we could all excel together why does it have to be and that's the only way it's really going to grow I'm only one person and what I put into to that show, and it, it was it was great, but there were two other shows being put on the same date to try and hinder it, and then you just think. Why? Like, do you know what I mean? We could, we could do this as, as a as a as a UK together, and make it massive. But we shall see. I hope so.
0: It's the, it's the issue, isn't it? And it always has been with fitness. It's, it's so tribal. Yes. I mean, you're either a bodybuilder yes. or you're a CrossFitter or you're a marathon runner, and it's like we're, exactly. we're all really together, right? It, it should it should be a lot exactly. easier to work together. But
1: so, so, for instance, just quickly, Joe. So next door to me, there's a, a big unit called a, it's CrossFit Redford. And I went to them first before I, I, I took on my place. And I said, look, would you feel comfortable with me coming in here? We're a different type of fitness. Like I'm obviously going for the hypertrophy type of, I know you're the crossfit. I said, but I won't come in because I don't ever want to shit on local businesses and stuff like that. So I won't ever do that. They were okay with it. And in return, I said, look, there's this stigma of bodybuilding, CrossFit, strongman, we're all separate. We've got this huge yard between us. And I was like, look, I can bring in, Noel Olsen, I don't know CrossFit, but I know the guys who are in there through through the industry. I says, why don't we do something together instead of being against each other? So next summer, we're planning to have like CrossFit bodybuilding, the Saltman Brothers, everybody down, and to just do one big event where we all mix and do something together. So that's my intention. Whether it works or not, I don't know, but we'll see.
0: It's not so common, <laughs> right? It's, that, that clear. Yeah. it's more that unites us than divides us. But everyone's so territorial about their own thing. Yeah. One last question, Ryan. Again, if you, if you don't want to talk about it, we can absolutely cut this out. But there's so much, or there's certainly a lot of news around young guys taking performance-enhancing drugs now in a way that there just never was a decade ago. And you've got these it recreational is. users who want to be big. It's the Love Island generation, right, essentially, want to be yeah. a certain way. Are you, are you noticing more and more people talking to you about gear and about steroids? And and if so, how worried
1: are you that, that maybe they're not going to be using it in the right way? Yeah, so obviously I'm not going to go too far into this, but um, yeah, it's very apparent nowadays. Like you say, it's become very popular. It's become very... The one thing I do think is good from like the old era is the fact that people are talking about it more. especially So like there is more information about it. So if people are going to do it, you are on the more understanding of it. But then on the flip side of it, you've got coaches, you've got people now who are promoting heavy, heavy cycles, heavy, heavy things, which is dangerous. So I think there should be some accountability when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I like the fact that people are more aware of it and they're talking about it because it's always been going on. It's been going on for years and years and years and years, uh, but it's just behind closed doors. And Some of the, the stories that even in my local gym that have happened Back in the day because there wasn't ready available uh, information about it is scary people having like kids having heart attacks at 19 20 because of the stuff to take it so it's a shame that they need to they feel they need to do that at that age especially if it's like say recreational it's just for a decent profile picture on on the instagram or whatever But it is the the world we live in now i think social media plays a huge part in that i think because everyone wants to portray their the best life on there they want to look their their best self on there it's kind of coming hand in hand with that i've met people who don't even train and talking about doing it because they think it's a wonder drug and so like <laughs> Crazy. Well,
0: I think that's it. It's, it's it's seeing all of the upside without any of the downside. And I guess it leads on with yeah. the social media generation, which has been a huge platform for you, right, to grow your profile and and to yes. I, I guess help your business as well. But yeah. looking more at the industry point of view, there's going to be an awful lot of young people, and the stats and the research are out there of body dysmorphia at levels we've never seen before. Mental, unbelievable, among, uh, among young people, never level levels we've never seen before. How much do you think that you know you have a role to play as an individual, and the industry has? Um, collectively to yeah. try and help some of these young people who think the answer is looking a certain way or eating a certain way is going to make them yeah. happy when, when, as you know, as someone who's been at the top of the game, you can't seek that validation in just how you look.
1: Yeah. I, I think we all should play a part in that. And I think it, it's starting to come around a little bit more. But again, I'm worried that the, the narrative is going to change anyway. I've noticed a lot of people like like Molly May and people like that, which like big industry influencers who... They're putting posts out about like uh, cellulite or, you know, postpartum, which is amazing because it is, it's natural, it's real life and and we should be showing more of real life stuff. But then I've noticed other people get on the bandwagon, oh, she's got a lot of engagement there. So, right, let's do something to get engagement. So, it's just, it's such a weird, complicated world, social media, isn't it? And like, I don't understand it to this day. I've been very fortunate that my, my following's grown organically and I've got a team now or I've got a videographer who helps with social media because I can't navigate myself. Where I'm a very simple man. <laughs> and like, I would much rather come and shake someone with a hand and meet them at an expo. And that's why I miss the old days, so to speak. Because I used to love that interaction and, and get to know someone face-to-face than a like or a comment on on social media. So it is a powerful tool, but I think it needs to be, if we can regulate it, how they can, I don't know. And it just be a bit more real, just be a bit more, like you say, we all try and put our best life out there, don't we? And